So let's pray. Father, we thank you for what it is you are saying and what it is you are doing through your word and just the hunger and the thirst that um, is really building up in us, Lord. We ask for more. We ask that you will transform our thinking, Lord, that it will become more of a kingdom mindset, more of what your church really looks like and how you want us to present your body, present you, Lord, as we are as we are your ambassadors um, in the earth, Lord. We are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. So we just pray, Lord, that this word that you have given, that you have put on my heart, will just touch everyone listening and change the way we think. In Jesus' name, amen. Look, let's just jump into it. Uh, let's all go to Matthew chapter 28, and we'll start at the verse 18. Uh, and yeah, just go to verse 18 through 20. So I'll start by reading it. It says this, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. It's awesome to hear, especially that 19th verse, which is what I want to focus on today. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Discipleship, it is a word that we often use, and I think it can be a bit convoluted. You know, sometimes people may not really understand what discipleship really means. What does that look like in its practical form? Um, and to just give you a little bit of a working definition, really, discipleship in the Christian sense is just really the process of making someone become like Christ. That's it. So a disciple is someone who is a person that is becoming like Christ in everything that they do. You can't separate it. You know, it's the way we live. It's the way we um, foster relationship. It's the way we build our families. It's the way we father. It's the way we are husbands to our wives and vice versa. It's the way we operate in our work areas. Everything that we do, every aspect of our life has to be in the way that Christ would have done it. That is a disciple of Christ. And that's really the, sim the simple way of really expressing discipleship. So what I want to talk about today is just a few points that kind of expounds on the benefits of discipleship. It's really powerful. Number one, the one, the, the, it's many benefits. I just want to kind of hit on three, but one benefit is the safeguard of accountability. This is so important. This is a benefit in discipleship. Some people may see um, accountability is something that is, uh, you know, hard to really uh, come under or force. But accountability, true accountability is not forced. It cannot be imposed on someone. Accountability, when it comes to my life, I have to invite it. We all have to invite it. So let's look at the scripture about what accountability looks like, especially with someone like Paul. Uh, if we go to Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, this is really awesome. And when I read this more and more, you can really hear uh, Paul's really love for accountability. But this is what it says. 
It says, then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. Now, stopping there, we have to understand the only way we can really experience true accountability. Like I said, we have to invite it, but it's it, it's about us positioning ourselves. And this is what Paul does. He positions himself to be accountable. When you read the epistle, the letter of Galatians, you see that Paul first in chapter one, he talks about how this gospel that was given to him was not a revelation given by man. It was given by God. And he's adamant about that. He's trying to stress the fact that God gave me this this word to give to you. He gave me this gospel. He gave me this revelation. But when you go to chapter two, you see that Paul himself, he tells us after 14 years, he went up again. So that already indicates he's already been up once or or maybe even multiple times. But that again shows us that this is not the first time I've gone up to the church or to the leaders in Jerusalem. But what's so interesting here is that even though he is fully convinced that God has given him this gospel, he wants to bring it before the leaders in Jerusalem and show them what he's preaching to the Gentiles so that he is not making the mistake or feeling as if he's done anything in vain. See, that is the safeguard of accountability. It provides that room for us to grow as Christians and as disciples in Christ. But now this is the point I also want to make. It says here, then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. Immediately, I thought, wait, he's not just trying to be accountable on a higher level, but it kind of shows the relationship between him and Barnabas. There's some accountability there. So when we read this, I want to kind of bring it back just a little bit to the inception of Barnabas and Paul, to the beginning of their relationship. And we can find that in Acts chapter 11. I want to read it really quickly. And we'll start at the 22nd verse. Uh, obviously, you know, in the whole context of it, this is the church of Antioch becoming um, known and uh, people like uh, Cyprus and Cyrene have been preaching not just to the Jews who were first hearing the gospel, but to the Greek, to other people. And they were speaking about the Lord and people were being changed. They were being radically transformed because that is what the word of God does. No person can do that. It is the word of God that multiplies. It is the word of God that changes our understanding of who Christ is and and converts us in the soul. So that's what happens. And that's what was happening here. So what happened with this is that it was becoming so grand. The report got back to Jerusalem. So I'll start at that verse. It says this, the report of this, meaning the gospel that is being preached, came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. That that's a level of accountability right there. 
they're, they're, they're sending someone who is going to report back to them what's happening. But watch what Barnabas does. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. I have to mention right here, Barnabas didn't go and try to brand them. He didn't go and try to make a brand out of this sector or this group of people that was experiencing God. He didn't go to try to legislate or try to rule over or dominate. He went to exhort them. He went to encourage them and he went to build them up as a church, as the people. And that's what we do as a church. You know, that's what we actually have to get back to. So what Barnabas does is exactly what we all should be doing. And if we keep reading, he says, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And watch this. This is the result. And a great many people were added to who? To the Lord. So the 25th verse. This is incredible. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. At that point, he was still called Saul before he changed his name or before really God changed his name to Paul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. The reason I read that to bring it back to the safeguard of accountability, it is Barnabas that goes to seek and, and he sought out Saul in Tarsus. What does he do? He brings him under his wing. He brings him under leadership. He brings him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they're preaching and teaching together. So you can kind of sense. I know when I read this, I could sense that, especially when you go back to Galatians, you see that Paul takes Barnabas with him. So he's taking someone that took him in first. It's powerful. And yet he's also taking Titus. And to me, that actually shows the other aspect or another level of accountability that Titus can see what it looks like to be discipled, what it looks like to be in the safeguard of accountability. Because accountability really, when it is done correctly, it provides growth. But like I said, this is something that cannot be imposed on us. You can't impose or force accountability on me. I have to be the one to invite it in. But when I invite it in, it, that, that is a benefit in discipleship. And that's what is important. It protects us. It keeps us. It, it, it challenges what I'm thinking and it brings us into that space together to really understand, okay, what is God saying? How do we lead people? How do we guide people? It's not to us, but it is to Christ because that's who we're making disciples of. Jesus said, remember, I said in the beginning, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and, the, and of the Holy Spirit. So discipleship is clearly about making disciples of Christ. And that's what we see here. So that's the first point, the safeguard of accountability. It is vital. But the second point also is that it's simple, but I think it is often looked over. And that is 
in discipleship, everyone is significant. Every single person, everyone belongs. Everyone belongs in community. Everyone belongs in the body. Everyone has an important role. And that is in discipleship. Every single person is vital to the body. I want to read 1 Corinthians 12, and I'll give you the verses 14 through 27. So it's chapter 12, verses 14 through 27. However, I won't hit every single one of those verses, but I want to point something out that Paul writes, which really explains how everyone is significant in the body. He says, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body. No, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Look, we know, especially <clears throat> in our Western culture, the way church has really been driven and just the way we all see it structurally. And we've spent so much time and attention making positions like pastors and apostles and prophets and all of these big words that we see described in the scripture, but really putting a lot of prominence on these offices that people walk in to the point that when people become pastors, you often will hear them wanting to even be called pastor. Why? Why? Because what that can say and infer is that you make this position more significant than the person in the church who isn't a pastor or who isn't a prophet or who doesn't walk in one of these offices. And I think we have to really start to really turn our own thinking around when it comes to what God gave as pastors and apostles for the purpose of why he did it. We have to look at the purpose. Even when I think of worship, you know, worship has really been made something that I don't believe it is ever meant to be. Now, when it comes to the way we worship, we have to understand worship is actually our highest. It's, it's a weapon. It's our highest place, the highest place of warfare, if you will. We use worship to bring the presence of God. God speaks to us in worship. We minister to him in worship. Worship brings breakthrough. Worship brings breakthrough in the person's life. Worship brings breakthrough in in what God is trying to say to us. It is the highest level of warfare. But often we take what is a platform ministry and make it a platform of notoriety. You know, if you think about I've heard it, too. And, and it's sad when you look at some of the other departments, such as uh, a kid's life in our in church in general or the service department or any other department that doesn't really get a place of a platform, if you will, uh, to where it's visible. It is often 
much more difficult to get people to even volunteer and serve in those capacities. Whereas when we look at worship, it's like, oh, yeah, I want to be in a worship team. I want to do this. I want to do that. And we have to actually really look at why are we doing this? Why are we saying this? What is this really about? Because if we understand the purpose of worship, it's not about being in the front. It's about living a lifestyle of worship because we have to understand every person, wherever you are in the body of Christ, you're significant. There is not one level above the, the other. As a matter of fact, when you keep reading in this passage of scripture, you see that Paul actually says what parts that seem to be a little bit hidden should be actually given more honor because you balance the body out. In, in, in other words, when you look at the natural aspect of it, parts of the body that humanly are known that you don't see, you don't get a lot of visibility for, whether it's uh, a tendon or a ligament that no one really notices. If those things are injured, if those things are disrupted, then it brings so much agony and so much pain and so much suffering to the body. I remember even personally going through a surgery some years back and it affected my core. Now, you can't really see the core, but man, when I tell you in the recovery process, it affects the arms, the legs, the back, everything that is more visible is completely affected by something that can be so small because everything's attached. Everything's connected. And Paul here is telling us every part of the body is important. And I want to read this part. It says, but God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. That's the purpose, guys. It's been so much division in the body, so much division in the church because our thinking has been around, okay, when we see a person that is a pastor, we, we look at that and we crave more after the office because we want to be called these names. And I'm not saying every single pastor thinks this way. No, I'm saying just as a general sense of what we get when we think of church now, the structure, the systems, the, the whole man-made thought process where when we look in the scripture, that's not what Paul is, is, is talking about. He's mentioning how the body should function together. And this is how we have to get, we have to get back to this. We have to function together knowing that every single person in the body, whether you are a pastor or whether you are serving in uh, the capacity of bringing chairs out or cleaning toilets, every person in the body is significant and every single person has a purpose. That is important for us to understand. So the last thing that I want to point out that is a benefit in discipleship is that when you are being discipled, it, it actually fosters relationship. Trust is built 
this way. You know, in order to really have revelation, what God is saying in, in, in community and in our church and even with us, you have to have relationship. Uh, to have revelation even with God and what he's saying to you, you got to be in relationship. And I want to tell you guys, crowds do not create community. It is relationship that creates community. Let's read Mark chapter 4, and I'm going to jump around. It's actually verses 1 through 34, but I want to, I just want to point something out that is really awesome to see, especially the way Jesus deals and, and handles and is in relationship with people. He says in verse 1 of Mark chapter 4, again, or this is what the scripture says, again, he began to teach beside the sea and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and set in on the sea and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. That's how big the crowd was. He had to get in the boat and really teach from there because he couldn't be amongst the crowd. It was just too, it was too vast, it was too big. But what happens? Well, if we jump down to verse 10, it says, and when he was alone. So at that point, the crowd left. The teaching's over, the preaching's over, everyone leaves, they go here, they go there. When he was alone, listen to this, those around him with the 12 asked about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables. So you may be thinking, oh, why would Jesus do that? You know, maybe the first time really reading it, oh, why would he just be open with everyone and give the secret of the parables to the crowd? Well, Christ, he's not being selective. It's not that he's trying to pick and choose who he wants to say this to. Yes, he chose the 12, but what does it say? It says, so, in, yeah, it says in this verse, those around him with the 12. So that indicates there are more people there than just the 12. Those around him with the 12, they asked about the parables. What does Jesus do? He gives them the secret. So it's actually about the choice of those who decided to stay and not leave when the crowd left. See, revelation comes when we decide to stick around. The crowd is going to come. The crowd is going to go. But community and relationship is not built in the crowd. It's built with the ones that decide to stay and get the revelation from Jesus. And in that verse 34, where I will end it, he says he did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. That is a benefit of discipleship, guys. You get the explanation. You get the revelation because that's what discipleship brings. It fosters relationship. And when you have relationship, you're only going to get the revelation of what is happening and what God wants to show us when we stick around, when we stay. 
I know we've all heard it. You know, when our season is up and it's time to go, it's time for me to go here, it's time for me to go there. And I get it. I mean, I understand when people, you know, leave and people move uh, interstate and, you know, jobs move. And I understand that. And, And of course, God understands that. But I think we really have to be careful when we use terminology like ours. My season is up because the truth be told. If you look at it from a natural standpoint, okay, spring ends and then summer comes. Summer ends, you know, fall comes and then winter comes. But then you go back to spring. My point is, when we say seasons are up, guess what? That season, in some shape, in some way, in some form, is going to find its way back into your life. And it's going to be similar. And what are you going to do then? Are you going to get up and go are you gonna get up and leave if you don't like something that you heard if you look in John chapter 6 Jesus had mentioned a hard thing that it was really difficult for a lot of his disciples at that point to follow but what happened a lot of them left they left because it was a hard thing to really grasp but we don't get the opportunity to really understand it unless we stay Unless we really allow God to speak in his timing and in the patience and just waiting for the revelation. Some things we don't like to hear. Some things we hear and it it bothers us. But that's okay. Because when you walk away, you may be missing the opportunity to get the fullness of what God is trying to say. The fullness of him pruning our character like I mentioned last Sunday and building us up and even in the suffering like Dai has been preaching about we have to understand that a lot of these things are really um, problems with our flesh and it's really our flesh that don't want to be led don't want to be submissive don't want to be subject to what God is trying to grow us up and mature us in So the benefit in this part of being discipled is actually fostering a relationship, building community. And that is how we build community. It is through relationship. And guess what? That is how we receive revelation. That is how we truly mature in our understanding of who Christ is in us and who we are in him and become a real true disciple. So this is how I want to sum it up in our understanding of just a few points of the benefits that come along with being disciple. Number one, if you want to see growth in your life, then you have to position yourself to be accountable. No one can do that for you. No one can do that for me. I have to be the one to position myself. I have to invite accountability so that I can see that growth become really fruitful in my life. Number two, if you want to walk in humility, which brings grace, because the Bible says God gives grace to the humble. If we want to really walk in humility, no matter what level we're at, no matter what it looks like, no matter how our stature seems to be presented, especially in a church, no matter what people may want to make prominent, if we want to walk in humility and receive the grace that God gives 
on our life, we have to understand that every single person in the body is significant. We have to understand that. And number three, if we want to really have sincere, genuine, real community, if we want to really understand what it means to be in real relationship with God and also with each other, then guess what? That doesn't mean everything we're going to be doing together, we're going to have the same likes, the same commonalities, the same hobbies. No. What it says is we have to be able to stay, especially when the crowd disperses, when the crowd leaves. This is how we will get the fulfillment of a genuine, sincere community. Like I said, crowds do not foster community. It is relationship that does. And in order to have genuine, true relationship, when everyone else is gone, we stick around. That's how you get it with Christ. And that's how we build community with one another. So guys, discipleship is key because Jesus said, go and make disciples. Don't just make crowds. Don't just make trends. Don't just try to be heard and be emotionally engaged because that emotion can drop off in the next 10 minutes. No, discipleship is a journey. It is a walk. And we do that by understanding these are the benefits that come with it. Yeah, it may not feel like it to my flesh. I may not want to be accountable at some stages. I may not want to really build a relationship and take time in that. I may not, you know, want to uh, recognize the significance of everyone else. But that's what it is about in the spirit. And we're spiritual beings. So I want this message to really speak to your spirit. If you are someone that you feel like I, I don't really have accountability in my life, you have to take that ownership and invite it. If you feel like, oh, I don't I don't know where I stand. Well, let's get into the word. Let's understand our significance. And if you don't really feel a part of a community, we're here. We're here. Let's have relationship together and let's get rid of the preconceived notions of what relationship looks like. Let's stay together. Let's stick together and let's understand that God gives us revelation in the sticking around. So, guys, I want this to really be a blessing. I want us to understand where we're going as a church. It is all about discipleship. And these are some of the benefits that come with it. So as that bird is going at it, we are going to pray. And I'll just pray quickly and we'll just get back to the worship. Father, I pray and I, I ask that this word would just be a blessing to everyone that has heard it. And Lord, and as we worship, really speak to us in our spirit what it looks like even in our own lives personally. To be disciple and to disciple. In Jesus' name. Amen.